Bears in British Columbia almost always lose their lives. A B.C. woman is facing massive fines for intentionally feeding bears with deadly consequences. Plus... You can be subject to enforcement action up to a $2,300 fine, or you can lose your business license. Another new normal, the poll on how British Columbians are adjusting to the vaccine card mandate amid a crackdown on non-compliant businesses. And... I spent three and a half years at this hospital, and I've always wanted to do something to give back. A BC man completes a marathon mission to give back to the hospital that saved his life. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Whistler resident has been slapped with a massive fine, $60,000 for intentionally feeding bears in the community. As Paul Johnson reports, the BC Conservation Officer Service claims the woman set up a bear buffet that could only end with the animal's eventual demise. Curious and hungry. As more and more British Columbians move into places where human and black bear habitats overlap, the result is more than just an endless stream of adorable images. It's all too often death sentences for these intelligent and sensitive creatures. Almost every single time that a bear finds food from people in British Columbia, that black bear will be killed for doing so. So many might consider the staggering $60,000 fine that a Whistler resident has been ordered to pay appropriate. The Conservation Officer Service says Zuzana Stevakova was running what amounted to a bear buffet. That on a weekly basis in the summer of 2018, she'd buy 10 cases of apples, 50 pounds of carrots, and 15 dozen eggs to feed the bears. Three of which had to be put down by conservation officers because the feeding had made them too habituated to people. Well, the society is very happy to see that the Wildlife Act has been enforced. Um, and uh, we're very, very grateful to the Conservation Officer Service for the work that they have done to put this case together. Lucy Cadman's North Shore Black Bear Society has been working to educate people about the direct connection between feeding bears and getting them killed. Even unintentional food sources are frequently deadly for them. Last week we told you the story of young Rufus, seen here eating apples in North Van before he was darted a number of times and put down. And this isn't the first time we've seen intentional feeding that would almost be comical if it wasn't tragic. Like the West Van family that just couldn't resist tempting bears for dinner. They were making pots of macaroni and cheese and porridge, leaving food sources available to bears in their community year-round for multiple years. Uh, we are aware that they contributed to the death of multiple bears in their community in West Vancouver. While many British Columbians consider themselves lovers of our wild flora and fauna, Apparently some of us still need to be taught how to admire it without getting it killed. Paul Johnson, Global News. One man was arrested after a large-scale police incident in Pemberton today. The man was taken into custody this afternoon after the Lower Mainland's emergency response team was deployed to the Sea to Sky community. Shortly before noon, Whistler RCMP urged people to avoid Underhill Lane at Highway 99 in Pemberton. It's not known why police wanted to arrest him. After barricading himself inside a trailer, the man was eventually taken into custody safely. 
Kamloops RCMP are investigating after a body was found near the city's landfill yesterday afternoon. Fire crews were initially called to put out a fire near the entrance to the Kamloops landfill. After they doused the flames, firefighters made the grisly discovery. The person has not yet been identified. Investigators from the Serious Crime Unit are trying to piece together what happened. They're asking anyone with video surveillance, cell phone or dash cam video to come forward. An overnight crash has claimed a life in Delta. It was a woman in her 70s. Delta police responded to a collision near the 4500 block of Highway 17A. They found a sedan had rear-ended a large, slow-moving farm vehicle. Despite paramedics' efforts, the driver of the sedan was pronounced dead at the scene. Police say an investigation is ongoing and the driver of the farm vehicle is cooperating. Abbotsford police are investigating after a vehicle crashed into a church causing extensive damage. Folks here vacuuming up some of the damage to Mill Lake Church. Early this morning, after a vehicle crashed through the front of the building and through the floor, down into a newly renovated kitchen. It appears the vehicle may have sped straight through an intersection, hopped a curb, sped through the parking lot and slammed into the building. The driver was taken to hospital with what are believed to be non-life-threatening injuries. We're still waiting for the restoration company to find out if we can get power back onto the building. Uh, it appears that we won't be using this part of the building. Fortunately, we have a large campus here, so we may be able to shift to the other side of the building until restoration work is completed. Police are trying to determine if drugs or alcohol were factors in the crash. British Columbians have had more than two weeks to adjust to using the vaccine card to access some non-essential services. And while most are adjusting to this new normal, a new poll suggests some business operators aren't scanning the QR codes. Kamil Kermali reports. A dinner, a dance. Last of the pirates in their suits and their ties. And a dash of defiance. We want everybody to have a choice when it comes to medical freedom. These anti-vaccine card protesters can't eat inside restaurants, so Saturday morning they pulled up a seat right outside them. We're here for openness, for uh, no segregation, for no discrimination. But a recent survey conducted by a local polling company shows that those who are against the vaccine card system are still largely in the minority. A poll conducted by Insights West found that one in five B.C. residents surveyed said they're opposed to the vaccine card system, with about 10 percent saying they've witnessed poor behaviors from customers, like refusing to show the card or being rude to employees. And when we poll the anti-vaxxers, the people who are opposed to it, they're really adamant that they're not going to change their mind despite not being able to go to concerts, to hockey games, to restaurants. But the vast majority surveyed, 77% have shown support for the vaccine card system, 58% having already used the card. What's perhaps most surprising, though, comes from the businesses. One third of people polled said they've gone to establishments where no one has asked for their proof of vaccination. And that could have negative impacts on those businesses, with 60% of respondents saying they would take some sort of action, including many choosing never to return to the place of business. If you're not enforcing the program, we'll start off with education. But at this point, it's not possible you don't know, right? So the next step is we're going to be having inspectors visit you, and you can be subject to enforcement action up to a $2,300 fine, or you can lose your business license for it. 
with the grace period behind them and the promise of increased enforcement, dissenting businesses and their customers don't have much choice but to get on board or be left out in the cold. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A 33-year-old man is set to appear in Vancouver Provincial Court Monday after an alleged racist attack on a senior last month. Dow Abraham Bruman is charged with assault in the 20, September 24th incident near East King Edward Avenue and Fraser Street. Vancouver police say an 82-year-old Asian woman was walking to the bus stop when she was shoved from behind by a stranger. The elderly victim suffered a sore arm. The VPD's hate crimes investigator is reviewing the file and Bruman remains in custody. Burnaby RCMP say a TMX worker was knocked unconscious last month at the site of a tree-sit protest against the pipeline expansion. Officers trained in high-angle rescue were called to the area on September 24th. That's after police say a branch fell on the worker's head while a protester was repelling between tree-sits. The worker was taken to hospital to be treated for a possible concussion. One person was arrested after coming down from the tree-sit and later released on a peace bond. Global News has reached out to Trans Mountain for an update on the worker's condition. The Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project is scheduled to be finished by 2022. A Nanaimo man has been charged after a Victoria police officer was struck by the driver of a stolen vehicle earlier this week. 27-year-old Chance Kenton Nickel is accused of assaulting a peace officer with a weapon, dangerous driving and possessing stolen property. On Monday morning, Victoria police say one of their officers was standing next to a police vehicle while assisting a bylaw staff in the 900 block of Pandora Avenue when he was hit from behind by another driver. The suspect vehicle was stolen and Nickel was arrested at the scene. He remains in custody and is set to appear in court on Monday. The injured officer is out of hospital and recovering at home. One of BC's largest shopping malls was shut down on Friday, along with a SkyTrain station, after reports of an active threat. RCMP are now trying to determine who was behind the apparent hoax that prompted a massive police response. Kristen Robinson has more on the growing problem of swatting and why experts say it's a dangerous trend. Come on, let's go. Yes, let's go. Oh my God. Panic at Metro Town as shoppers flee and officers enter with guns drawn. They were just like, clear the area, clear the area. The mall evacuated Friday after a false report of a gunman. A large group of people come running and screaming, saying there's a shooter, and there's a shooter, run. The nearby SkyTrain station also closed amid a false report of a pipe bomb. Burnaby RCMP now investigating whether the call to police was a case of swatting. It's absolutely very serious. And increasingly common, according to cybersecurity experts, especially in the gaming community. Often it's specifically revenge motivated, where somebody has got into a beef with somebody online and that's caused uh, a desire for some sort of vengeance. Voice over IP technology and apps allow phone numbers to be spoofed, making it easier for someone to anonymously call in a fake threat. There's even uh, swatting services that are available on the dark web, so you can call somebody up and get them to do it for you. SWAT teams were in our tree, on the roof. Three years ago, a Chilliwack mother and children forced from home when someone made an online pizza order, claiming the family was being held hostage by an armed man. It could be a prank. 
by kids, by teenager kids. It could be a way to distract law enforcement from a crime taking place in another place in the city. It could be deadly. In the U.S., an Ohio gamer pleaded guilty to conspiring to set up hoax calls that led police to kill a man in 2017. The father of two fatally shot as officers responded to a false report about a hostage situation. In Canada, Ilya Lavovsky says RCMP cybersecurity units have the tools to track down swatters. I wouldn't say it's easy, but I would under say it's impossible. If you think that you want to prank someone, find another way. Don't call the emergency services. It's a very bad way to do it, and you will probably get caught. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Metro Vancouver says it believes a contractor has abandoned a massive public works project halfway through construction. Work on a billion-dollar wastewater plant in North Vancouver has all but stopped. Metro Vancouver says Axiona Wastewater Solutions abruptly laid off most of the 180 people working on the project. The region says the project is well behind schedule, even though it gave the contractor an extra two and a half years to finish the job. The new plant will treat sewage from 250,000 homes on the North Shore, including the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. It was due to be in service by 2024. No word on how this setback will affect that timeline. Axiona has not responded to our requests for comment. And after the break, more reaction to the Prime Minister's controversial trip to Tofino. I thought his visit here to Tlaoquit is completely disrespectful. What the local Indigenous community is saying about the PM's vacation there on the country's first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And later. I felt betrayed by my politician. How dare they? The nationwide marches targeting the U.S. Supreme Court as abortion rights supporters try to regain momentum. More Indigenous leaders are speaking out in the wake of the Prime Minister's controversial visit to Tofino on the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. As Amadagahi reports, a First Nations leader who is just minutes away from where Justin Trudeau was staying says the PM needs to seek permission to enter their traditional territory. And a warning, some viewers may find the contents of this story distressing. They invited you. Since video captured by Global News confirmed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau vacationing in Tofino on Thursday, Canada's first national day for truth and reconciliation, there has been continuous criticism from Indigenous leaders and communities in this country. For him to be present at the Kamloops Indian Residential School on the very first day of truth and reconciliation would have been more important then vacationing in Tofino. I mean, he might as well have been in blackface again while he was surfing, you know, considering the kind of insult that he gave to the uh, Aboriginal survivors of the horror camps. I'm, I'm just amazed at the ineptitude of, of the man. Now the deputy chief of the Tilakwit First Nation, who hosted a reconciliation ceremony and walk just minutes away from where Trudeau was seen on the beach, is adding his voice to those frustrations. I thought his visit here to Tlaoquit is completely disrespectful. Organizers of that event in Tofino tell me they were not told the Prime Minister would have been in their community, adding that had they known, 
he would have been invited to join. While the to Kamloops Tshwap making Kamloops told Global News they had sent two invites for their ceremony to the Prime Minister. Which he declined to participate in that process uh, and, and chose to come out here uh, is, is disrespectful. Uh, and, and by not by not reaching out to Tlaoku, it is even more disrespectful. Trudeau did attend and speak at a reconciliation ceremony in Ottawa the evening before the Day for Truth and Reconciliation and his flight to Tofino. And on Thursday, in a tweet said he spent some time on the phone with residential school survivors. Why not in person, sir? But would not answer when asked why he did not attend a ceremony in person. Amadagahi, Global News. We understand these stories may be distressing for our viewers. If you or someone you know needs support, you can call the number on your screen, 1-866-925-4419. The crisis line operates 24 hours a day. A special ceremony on Vancouver Island today to mark the 100th anniversary of the planting of the London plane trees. Representatives from the District of Saanich, City of Victoria and the Memorial Avenue Committee planted a commemorative tree on Shelburne Street exactly 100 years since memorial trees were first planted to honour the fallen soldiers and nurses from B.C. in the First World and Boer Wars. Memorial Avenue was officially dedicated on October 2, 1921 and rededicated three years ago to commemorate the 1918 armistice. Specially designed road signs and interpretive panels are also being installed. Residents of Port Coquitlam are now fully enjoying a new community centre right in their backyard. Celebrations were held today for the 19,000 square metre Port Coquitlam Community Centre on Wilson Avenue. Built in phases, the $132 million centre is the city's second largest construction project to date, after the $134 million Coast Meridian overpass. It was funded by the city and the federal government. It houses three arenas, a gymnasium, leisure pool, fitness center and studios, the Terry Fox Library and children's area for preschool and child minding. And still ahead, vaccinating children. The latest from Health Canada as major drug makers submit preliminary data from trials. Plus, they're going to be using them anyway, so why don't we make it safe? Following calls from mayors in B.C., Toronto prepares to ask Health Canada to decriminalize illicit drug possession. A Canadian man suspected of being the voice of violence in the so-called Islamic State's propaganda videos is now in FBI custody. Mohammed Khalifa, a former Toronto IT worker, was flown from Syria to Virginia, where he was charged with a terror-related offense. A U.S. Justice Department statement says through his alleged leading role in translating, narrating and advancing ISIS's online propaganda, Khalifa promoted the terrorist group, furthered its worldwide recruitment efforts and expanded the reach of videos that glorified the horrific murders and indiscriminate cruelty of ISIS. The Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces captured him in early 2019. He was interviewed by Global News in Syria later that year. Thousands of women taking to the streets across the U.S. today, focusing on reproductive rights. I felt betrayed by my politician. How dare they? How dare they do that to their women? 
One of the larger turnouts was at the Texas legislature in Austin. That's where lawmakers have instituted one of the toughest abortion laws in the country, all but outlawing the procedure after about six weeks of pregnancy. In all, more than 600 protests taking place with thousands of people in Washington, D.C., marching in support of Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that legalized abortion in 1973. In Health Matters, the push is on to see how soon children between 5 and 11 years of age in Canada could be vaccinated against COVID-19. We're expecting that clinical trial data to come to Canada as well early next week. And then they'll file a submission with the US FDA. And then shortly thereafter, they'll file a submission with us at Health Canada. And we're expecting that to come in likely before the middle of October. Moderna is also testing its vaccine in elementary school-age children. Late Friday, Pfizer said it has submitted preliminary research to Health Canada on the effectiveness of a lower-dose version of its vaccine in kids age 5 to 11. The company adds a formal submission to Health Canada could come later this month. In Toronto, the city's Board of Health has made a request to Health Canada to follow BC's lead when it comes to asking to decriminalize the possession of illicit drugs for personal use. As Brittany Rosen reports, it comes as the opioid crisis worsens. Christine Thornton has lost too many friends to the opioid epidemic and says those suffering from addiction need help as opposed to being punished. We really need to critically assess why, as a collective, as a society, it is that our response for so long has been to take people who are traumatized and, and put them in locked wards instead of trying to figure out why and heal. It's why she's supporting Toronto's inclination to decriminalize the personal possession of illicit substances. This, as suspected opioid overdose calls, reach record highs. According to Toronto Paramedic Services, since May, there has been a steep increase in calls compared to last year. In August of 2021, there were 689 non-fatal overdose calls, the most since data started to be reported in 2017. So when you have 500 people plus dying last year from drug overdoses in the city of Toronto, you have a full-fledged health care crisis. And I think we have to sort of make sure we discuss every option that says this is not a moral issue, this is not a legal issue, this is a health care issue, and a call upon the other governments to work with us. Tory says the move mirrors what officials in British Columbia are doing where the opioid crisis remains dire. The scale of the opioid crisis. Mental health and addiction specialist Fardaus Husseini co-authored a paper on decriminalization in 2018. He says while it's not a silver bullet solution, it's an important step in the right direction. Without actually treating this as a health issue, people will still be fearful of being labeled, judged, and having a jail time or criminal record as a result of using substances. They're going to be using them anyway, so why don't we make it safe and put the parameters around them to have access to appropriate treatment and care. Both Husseini and Thornton are also advocating for the regulation of illicit drugs, safe supply and supervised consumption sites so that more lives can be saved from the opioid crisis. As for the city, it says it plans to send its request to Health Canada later on this fall. Brittany Rosen, Global News. And coming up next, fundraising for a beloved BC farmer. I asked him, why don't you slow down? He's like, if I slow down, I will seize up. 
the accident and amputation that forced him to stop and how his family and friends are ensuring the 89-year-old's crops don't go to waste. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. They had to go in and amputate the lower part of the leg. A devastating accident stops a B.C. farmer from doing what he loves. How the community is picking up the pieces as he recovers. That's coming up after weather. But first, many of us are just getting around to thinking about Thanksgiving next week and Halloween after that. But here's something that might get you into the Christmas spirit soon. The organizers behind the Vancouver Christmas Market posted on their website that this year's event is returning to Jackpool Plaza. The German-style festival will take place between November 13th and December 24th. That's a week earlier than usual in order to accommodate for less crowding. COVID-19 protocols, including physical distancing and online booking for arrival times, will also be in effect. All right, we'll rewind now back to present day and bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the present day forecast, Yvonne. Yeah, we've got some cloud cover and a bit of a blip in the forecast as we get in towards this evening and leading in towards our Sunday morning, but there is some sunshine and I'll show you the timeline in just a moment. Here's what it looks like overlooking English Bay. Temperatures are sitting at 14 and we've got an easterly wind at around 13 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province, a touch cooler, single digits for Whistler sitting at eight, similar for Revelstoke and areas near Prince Rupert with a current temperature at nine. We still have a frontal system that is bringing in some cloud cover with a chance of showers and most areas along the south coast will see that chance for some showers pick up tonight and into the morning hours. That's our best shot. Most areas into the morning hours across Metro Vancouver it's even a chance for some drizzle. We'll still see some showers along the north and central coast and then dissipating as we get in through the afternoon with drier conditions but hanging on to that cloud cover. So here's a quick snapshot of what we can anticipate especially along the northern half of the province where it's windy this evening, southwesterly 30 with gusts of up to 50, and then tomorrow still seeing a southwesterly wind, 20, and then gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. The showers should dissipate by the afternoon and then hanging on to a mainly cloudy sky. There are some breaks across the central interior with the partly cloudy sky. Temperatures will be up to 10. Cloud cover across the southern interior for the morning hours, but remaining dry by the afternoon. Some breaks in there and then warming up, especially for the southern half of the Okanagan with the Soyuz even getting up to 20 degrees. Whistler will start to see some breaks through the afternoon. Highs up to 13 and along the south coast. Morning cloud cover with a few isolated showers or drizzle for most areas. Metro Vancouver we will see some sunshine in the mix. Highs closer to 14 degrees. Pleasant start to the work week and back to school. Looks like we'll have a nice dry start. Mix of sun and cloud. 15 as the high. Now the next system that is going to roll in for Monday night will bring us the chance of showers. Looks to be unsettled for both our Tuesday, Wednesday, both days and cooler in towards next week and then rebounding quite quickly for a Thursday. For tomorrow morning, chance for some drizzle, some breaks in the cloud cover by the afternoon. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A fundraising event in Prince George today was centered around helping a farmer who had his leg amputated during BC's heat wave after an accident. Randy Marie Adams of CKPG News has more on the accident that brought his nearly 80 years of growing produce for the local market to a halt and how the community is stepping up to support him. Once a field farmed by the Riser family has now become a beautiful walking path in the Moors Meadow. This is all thanks to one man, John Riser. One of the interesting stories that my Uncle John told me uh, actually is that he got into farming because uh, my grandfather was getting him to farm and the first thing that he picked up was an onion and he bit the onion 
And he said the rest was history. He was hooked on, on farming garden vegetables and potatoes. John and his family settled here in the early 1900s, harvesting many pieces of land around PG with the most current plot out in Red Rock, where the 89-year-old still farms to this day. He doesn't do it for money. He doesn't do it for any other reason. He always says, you know, like, I mean, like, I used to ask him, like, why don't you slow down? Why don't you take a break? He's, he's never taken a holiday. He's been places, but to, like for work events, he's never taken a holiday. So I asked him, why don't you slow down? He's like, if I slow down, I will seize up. That was until he had an accident this past June. And so uh, he was in the process of changing the tractor tire when he lost his footing and it fell on him and it had him pinned overnight um, outside at the start of the heat wave. And so his friend Margaret went down the next day to check up on him and found him and immediately called uh, 911 and had him brought to the hospital. About a month ago now, I would say, they, they had to go in and amputate the lower part of the leg. John has been in recovery since, worried about his farm and his crops being wasted. But the community and his family won't let that happen. Wayne wanted to send a special message to his friend John. I miss you, John. I miss everything you do. You're such a sweet man. And I hope to do you proud with legendary Johns. Donations have been pouring in with the city purchasing all of Johns pumpkins to give away at the fall fair. For more information or to consider donating, head to the PG Farmers Market Facebook page. Randy Marie Adams, CKPG News. Of course, and our best thoughts for his recovery. What an incredible story. Uh, so, Barry, it's another busy day in sports. I know you've got mm -hmm. some developing stories. What do you have coming up ahead? Yeah, well, it's busy if you're uh, down by Rogers Arena or BC Place. Everyone's, uh, every team's got their night. The Lions played last night, kind of got schooled by the Grey Cup champs. Tonight it's the Whitecaps. Tomorrow it's the Canucks. So we'll touch on all of those. And uh, Blue Jay fans have been a little nervous. What a way to finish the season. The Jays, they're going to go down to game 162, the final day of the regular season, still alive for the playoffs. There's nothing quite like baseball playoffs. The, uh, it, you know, the game is, moves slowly, but it's one of the most nerve-wracking things to watch. <laughs> no kidding. And the Jays and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Mariners are all battling for two spots. We'll visit that as well. All right, as everybody's on the edge of their seats, mm -hmm. also ahead, bringing humanity back to hospital ICUs. You are the conduit for the love between those two, two parties. An Edmonton doctor shares her experience connecting a woman in B.C. to her dying mother by phone. Recent deaths from COVID-19 in Alberta is staggering. From Monday to Thursday this week, there were 95 COVID-19 deaths in that province. Now an Edmonton doctor is hoping to put some faces and names to those numbers and tell about the far-reaching impacts of those losses, including here in BC. Kim Smith reports. We hear numbers of 20 deaths per day, 30 deaths per day, and it gets really easy to get numb to those numbers. That's why Dr. Nija Bakshi, who works on the internal medicine ward at Edmonton's Aurora Alexandra Hospital, took to Twitter this week to recount calling a woman to tell her her 75-year-old mother was dying from COVID. As expected, uh, very, she was very shocked um, and uh, ended up hanging up the phone on me, which is very understandable. Dr. Bakshi calls back. The daughter on the phone says, I'm so sorry for hanging up on you. I was shocked. I didn't even know she wasn't well. The hospital arranged for an iPad to be brought in so the mom and daughter could say goodbye. But first, the patient asked for her lipstick. 
she was just so insistent that she needed to look good when she died. Dr. Bakshi says it was an emotional call. Eventually, she sat with the patient and the daughter on the iPad in silence for 30 minutes as the woman passed away. It's a very weird feeling. Um, You feel close to the family in that moment, but you also feel very distant. And as a physician or the nurse that's doing that, you are the conduit for the love between those two, two parties. And it's It's a great responsibility. More than 2,700 people have died from COVID in Alberta since the pandemic began. Nearly 500 of those deaths reported in the past four months. Dr. Darren Marklin has seen many of those deaths working in the ICU. We don't have good ways of predicting who's going to do well and who isn't. We caught up with Dr. Marklin on his way to work. He says when someone is admitted to the ICU, they're put on a ventilator and then into a deep coma. We see some people die very quickly. But again, yeah, when you get a young, healthy, previously healthy person, it can take up to six weeks, months sometimes. He says they're seeing more and more of those patients. Now, there are people like you and me. They are young. They're healthy. They don't have much else wrong with them. Kim Smith, Global News. Coming up, a cancer survivor's mission to give back. Inspiring a lot of young kids, so... The 22-year-old on a more than 100-kilometer-long journey to thank the staff at the facility that saved his life. Variety Week returns to Global BC. From October 18th through 22nd, tune into Global's newscast all week and meet the kids who need your help now. Call 310KIDS or donate at variety.bc.ca and your donation will be matched. Join Big Sisters for their annual Luminary Soiree, an evening to gather and celebrate the power of mentorship. Funds raised support the over 700 volunteers and 800 youth across Metro Vancouver. BigSisters.bc.ca for info. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a full look at sports and what is happening at Rogers Arena. Well, what's not happening yeah. there? Lots of things going on around that area. Thanks, Nithu. The uh, Canucks play their fourth of seven preseason games tomorrow, 4 o'clock at Rogers against the Winnipeg Jets. Brock Besser won't play for the Canucks. He actually won't be on the ice for the next week or so. Besser is dealing with an undisclosed injury. Best to play it safe with the regular season just 11 days away. We are expecting to hear from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson soon, perhaps as early as tomorrow as the ink dries on their new contract signed in the last 48 hours. They do have uh, time to be eased into this camp and preseason games. The last thing anyone wants is an injury at this point. Well, the Whitecaps are home to San Jose tonight in what really is a must-win. The Whitecaps are just three points out of the final playoff spot with eight to go, but they have a nasty, tough schedule down the stretch. They still have two left against first-place Seattle, one each with second-place Sporting Kansas City and Red Hot Portland. So losing to the Quakes tonight would shake their world. Kickoff, 7.05. You can listen, as always, on AM 7.30. Well, there's nothing quite like the drama and tension in baseball at this time of year. And the Blue Jays are right in the thick of things in that wild, wild American wildcard race. Toronto could have been eliminated today, but they weren't, thumping the Orioles to stay alive and setting up what could be an epic Sunday where conceivably four teams could end up tied for the two wildcard spots. Jays almost let a big lead slip away last night. Not the case today against the O's. Bottom of the first, Vladdy Guerrero 
Jr. launches one 450-foot bomb to the second deck. His 47th homer tied for second most in Jay's single-season history. Jose Bautista had 54 in 2010. Next man up. Goes deep as well, Teoscar Hernandez with the solo blast. Those two have struggled a bit in the last couple of weeks. Good to see them finding the power. Bottom of the second, George Springer. That's his 20th home run, the seventh Blue Jay to hit 20 homers this season. Toronto leads the majors in big flies. Fifth inning, Danny Jansen. He's going to get into the act, goes to right field. That's a two-run shot, and that's a record setter. The 258th home run this season. That's a new Blue Jays team record. And former Vancouver Canadian Alec Manoa outstanding again today. What a rookie season he's had. 10 Ks uh, over seven innings, 127 strikeouts over 111 innings, a 9-2 record. Jays thump the O's 10-1. They stay alive for the final Sunday. Now, the Jays need some help from the Red Sox, who took uh, on the Nationals. Boston, a game up on Toronto at the start of the day, owning that second wild card spot. It was 1-1 in the ninth, but the Sox put up four, including this two-run homer by Enrique Hernandez, 5-1 Boston. But the Nationals rally in their half of the ninth. No easy games at this time of year. Andrew Stevenson, two-run homer to center, and it's 5-3. But the Red Sox... Settle it down, and Hansel Robles gets Lane Thomas to end the game with a weak fly ball to center. 5-3 the final, so the Red Sox remain one game up on the Jays for the second wild card with game 162 tomorrow. Yankees and Rays, New York needing just a win to clinch a playoff spot. But Tampa hates the Yankees. They also hate the Red Sox and Jays. But this weekend, they take it out on the pinstripers. Brandon Lau was a one-man wrecking crew. This is his second three-run homer of the game. 6-1 Rays, and Lau wasn't done yet. He will hit his third jack of the game. Seven RBI as the Rays win at 12-2. So Yanks and Red Sox now tied for the two wild card spots. Jays won back of them. The Mariners still alive. Play the Angels tonight. Seattle has to win to stay in it. The Jays, it's simple. They got to win and hope either Boston or the Yankees lose to get into a tie break. The Lions found out last night they are a long ways from being a legitimate Grey Cup contender. The defending champion Blue Bombers dominated in all facets, thumping BC 30-9. And adding injury to insult, the Lions' top receiver, Lucky Whitehead, suffered a hand injury that could keep him out of the lineup going forward. The Bombers rolled up over 500 yards offense and had Michael Riley ducking for cover all night, sacking him five times. Used it early in the ballgame. Riley, look out. Down he will go. Another sack tonight. We didn't play well enough, but I give them credit. I think they're the best team in this league right now. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to find ways to to get better. And we play these guys again in three weeks. So, um, you know, I, I'm, still, uh, I'm still optimistic with this team. Um, but there's no question that we're going to have to find ways to, to do things better and, and improve. And it was just one of those nights that we got, you know, spanked all night and uh, and soundly beaten by a team that just, uh, you know, was the better team tonight for sure. We have to deal with that. We had to figure out how to get better um, because, you know, tonight obviously we were not close to good enough. CFL tonight, second place Riders visiting the last place Stamps, just two and five for Calgary, but boldly by Mitchell finding his form after a very poor start to the season by his standards. 
Perfect delivery to the rookie, Sean Bain. First CFL game for Bain's got a touchdown. Calgary jumped out 14-0. It's now 20-14 Calgary late in the fourth. Also today, Alouettes and Ticats from Hamilton. A thrilling finish. Alouettes down four in the final minute, but Vernon Adams on third and 20 fires a touchdown strike to Eugene Lewis, who didn't lose his head when all of those around him were losing theirs. Just lost his helmet. The Ticats did come back and tie it with the late field goal, but in overtime, after a Hamilton fumble, David Cote from 36 yards, he will kick it through, and the Alouettes beat the Tiger Cats 23-20 in overtime. Montreal now 3-4. Hamilton is 4-4. Four the Seahawks are at San Francisco tomorrow, but the marquee game on this fourth NFL Sunday of the season is in Foxborough, Massachusetts, where Tom Brady returns to play in the stadium and against the coach where he spent 20 glorious seasons with the Patriots. Brady, of course, left to go to Tampa a year ago and promptly won his seventh Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Hey, who needs Belichick, right? But Brady says he left on good terms. You know, we had a great relationship. Um, I think everything was handled the right way. You know, we handled everything as gracefully as we could. Um, it was an amazing, like I said, time, and um, it was handled. It was handled perfectly. I think everyone understood, you know, where we we're at, the people involved in the situation, and um, you know, things worked out for the best for for all of us. PGA Tour from Jackson, Mississippi, the Sanderson Farms Championship. Merritt's Rogers Sloan in the hunt. This is his approach at the ninth. The par four, second shot, and almost holds it for an eagle, but a birdie putt there, four under 68 for, uh, for Roger. He is at 15 under, tied for eighth, just three back of the leader American, Sahith Thigala. Corey Connors is 10th, just one behind Sloan. Adam Hadwin, well back, 45th at minus eight. Some soccer now, Premier League, Romelu Lukaku and Chelsea at home to Southampton. 84th minute, tied at one, Timo Werner bags the winner. Ben Chilwell added another a few minutes later. 3-1 Chelsea, first place now with 16 points, two up on Liverpool, who play tomorrow. Manchester United and Everton both 4-1-1 to start the season. United led into the second half, but Andros Townsend earns a point for Everton. It ends 1-1, both teams on 14 points, tied for second with Liverpool and Brighton. And, of course, Whitecaps, Earthquakes, about 20 minutes from kickoff. Highlights tonight at 11. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with a cancer survivor's incredible mission to give back to BC Children's Hospital. A long journey for a 22-year-old man culminated today with a run through the Fraser Valley to BC Children's Hospital in Vancouver. As Julia Foy reports, Jaden Lee is living proof of what you can achieve when you set goals and overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles. 22-year-old Jaden Lee got a hero's welcome as he arrived at BC Children's Hospital in Vancouver. You just ran how far? Uh, 103 kilometers. <laughs> Jaden started his journey Friday night at midnight from his hometown of Chilliwack. He was on a mission to help raise money for sick kids. I was diagnosed with leukemia when I was 16 years old. Um, I spent three and a half years at this hospital and I've always wanted to do something to give back to children's and so this was something that me and Cam thought of as a crazy idea last year. You never as a parent want to come to children's hospital but once you're here I mean it's the best place to be right so it's nice that everybody came together and did this and raised some money for the hospital. I was here like all the time when Jaden was, when he was a patient here, so to, for him to be able to do something to give back like this is just amazing. 
his Boston Marathoner grandmother gave him the inspiration. He talked to me last Christmas and said, you know what, we were just kind of joking around and thought, you know, maybe I should do a 100K run from Chilliwack to the Children's Hospital. And he's laughing and he says, do you think I'd be able to do it? And I thought about it and thought about the time period he had to work on it. And I said, yeah, you, you could do it. Jaden ran all through the night with friends and relatives at his side. You're a hero, Supporters came out to cheer him on. It's in the midst of COVID and the, everything, all the crap that's going on in the world. This is good people some kind of inspiration. To say that we're proud would be an understatement. Um, to know Jaden is, is a blessing. By 2.30 Saturday afternoon, Jaden was in the home stretch. The last 20 kilometers, I was feeling pretty rough and was having a hard time moving my legs. He knew he had to keep going for children like Avery, who's undergoing treatment for the same kind of cancer. I'm going to run just like him to Abbotsford to BC Children's Hospital. When he ran under the balloon arch, he had reached his fundraising goal. Thanks, everyone. We hit 121 grand. But his GoFundMe site is still open for others to donate. What kept you going? This moment right here. Was it 100%, yeah. Julia Foy, Global News. Wow, Jaden, congratulations. What an incredible feat. Awesome Great job. Man. Amazing. He made it look easy, too. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, last 20 kilometers were the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> well, the hey, first 20 are tough as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Great job. At least the rain held up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for this evening and into the morning hours, we may have a few isolated showers, light drizzle, and then anticipate some breaks for tomorrow. We'll start off the work week on Monday with dry conditions and some sunshine as well and highs up to 15. Beautiful. Looks like average fall weather. <laughs> Thanks so much, Yvonne and Barry. And thank you all as well. Jordan will be here at 11. Have a great night.